It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Lockdown Bills. want to thank you for making Lockdown Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Well, folks, it is time for Herd Mentality. Lots of great questions to get into. We're going to talk. James Cook and Taylor Rapp and Puna Ford, Joe Brady, all kinds of good stuff here today on the podcast. Let's dive into it. The first one here comes from Brandon. Very simple question here from Brandon. Is James Cook a Pro Bowl candidate? I think he is, folks. I think he is. He's certainly building a resume. Third in the NFL among running backs. In yards from scrimmage with 1,180. He's behind Christian McCaffrey at 1,614. Travis Etienne, 1,189. And then it's James Cook. I think where it might get a little bit dicey for James Cook in this conversation is touchdowns. He's only got four touchdowns this season. But the yardage is absolutely there. And when you survey the landscape in the AFC, I think you have a case for James Cook. Four running backs are named to the Pro Bowl. And I think you have Raheem Mostert with 18 touchdowns, right? He's not far behind James Cook in yards, but 18 touchdowns, you're going to make the Pro Bowl. I think Travis Etienne is going to make the Pro Bowl. He's got more yards, and he's got 10 touchdowns. Now, he's only got nine more yards but 10 touchdowns compared to four. So more touchdowns by significant margin and more yards. Then your other contender, I think, is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is close in yards, but also has 10 touchdowns. He's also got the name, Derrick Henry. So 10 touchdowns, similar yards, and he's Derrick Henry. I think those three guys right now are are pro bowlers. Raheem Mostert, Travis Etienne, and Derrick Henry. I think James Cook has a good claim to that last spot. Now, the other contenders, Joe Mixon, Gus Edwards, and Isaiah Pacheco. Joe Mixon, eight touchdowns, so double the touchdowns, pretty close in yards, not far behind there. Gus Edwards is way behind in yards, but he does have 10 touchdowns. I think that's going to matter to some entities, right? It's fans, players, and coaches that vote on this stuff. And then Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco with the Chiefs, seven touchdowns, 988 yards. So there's still some time here. I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I think it should be Raheem Mostert, Travis Etienne, Derrick Henry, and James Cook. 
And I think he's just got to fend off Mixon, Edwards, and Pacheco. But the question being, is James Cook a Pro Bowl candidate? Yeah, he is. And it's time to get excited about what this guy can mean for this offense. And, you know, the dual threat ability, he's showing that inside run ability. He's been really productive, like more productive than most running backs in the NFL. Just needs a few more touchdowns. I think that's the piece that's missing from the resume. Next one here comes from Justin. Justin says, are we all in agreement that Taylor Rapp is a bust of a free agent acquisition? This dude is seriously a tackling liability when he's out there, specifically relating to injuries. The guy's a huge hitter. Everyone can agree on that. However, I feel like it's every week he makes a tackle that injures one of our players. So some things to unpack here. First of all, I would agree with what you're saying. I think he's a bit of a reckless player that has made tackles that there's some friendly fire that's led to injuries for the Bills. Fortunately, Tyrell Dotson was able to come back and finish that game, but that was the most recent example against Kansas City. Now, before we go too hard here and calling Taylor Rapp a bust, he signed a very, very small contract, one year, $1 million deal. I mean, we are talking minimum money. And so through that lens, as a guy that's played special teams, that's played you know a lot of meaningful snaps on defense, you can't really be too hard on this being a bust of a free agent acquisition. Now, I've been very frustrated with Taylor Rapp. I think for a physical hitting safety, I don't think he's a consistent tackler. I don't think he puts himself in consistent positions to make tackles. And I don't think he's good in coverage. Now, where I would extend some grace to Taylor Rapp is that when he's played, he's had to fill in more for Micah Hyde than he has Jordan Poyer, and his skill set is much better to do the things that Jordan Poyer does as compared to the things that Micah Hyde does. Now, not that Hyde's playing at a high level. We talked a lot about that yesterday. The man coverage ability is gone. The tackling hasn't been there. But for the most part, I know the Eagles game's not a great example, but he's done a good job of kind of keeping things in front of him. But he's limited at this point in his career. Taylor Rapp doing that stuff is not going to be a great one-for-one. And so I think if Rapp had more chances to do the Poyer stuff, he might look a little bit better. But I think overall he's a disappointment. And we had kind of talked about Taylor Rapp having this unique opportunity to have a season of time behind Hyde and Poyer. And then you think about him as one of their successors for next year. I'm not finding myself super interested in that. I think Taylor Rapp, is a guy that is more of a special teams player that is a fourth safety as opposed to a third safety that gets you know a fair amount of playing time for the Bills. So not a great signing. He's had a role. He's helped the team. But I think his limitations have really been exposed, and he's not a player that I have a ton of interest in continuing with beyond this season. Justin says, what is the deal with Gabe? I know his skill set is limited, but man, something seems different this year. It's not the OC. We've had two different play callers this year. Has a player ever done so little in a contract year? Well, I'm I'm certainly disappointed in Gabe Davis, but at the same time, the limitations of his skill set are very, very real. So let's get into it. First of all, the production hasn't really been there. Zero catches in three of the last five games. You heard that correctly. Zero catches in three of the last five games. 
has two or fewer catches in seven of 13 games this year. Has had more than three catches in just three of 13 games this year. The production has not been good, and that's been Gabe's fans out there have pointed to stats and said, look, number two wide receiver production, it's pretty good. Please. It's always been about the skill set and how limited the skill set is in a feature role of an offense. I think what's different this year is that the Bills have legitimate other options that are better to throw the football to. Of course, Stefan Diggs, but how about Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, James Cook? If I'm Josh Allen, I'm throwing the ball to those guys over Gabe Davis. Those are much better players, much more dynamic with the ball in their hands, much better at creating space. So I think you have a limited player that you just have better options this year that are in feature roles of your offense, and that's what it comes down to. And and I'll be honest with you, while the, the production is disappointing, I'm certainly not watching the Bills play offensive football right now and wishing that Gabe Davis had more opportunity. Like, I'm totally fine with Gabe Davis not getting a ton of opportunities to catch the football. And to me, it just makes the decision so much easier to let him walk in free agency. Like, bullet dodge there, potentially, that you didn't get something done before the season. Because I think you'd have a lot of regret if you did that. A lot of regret. And simply put, Diggs, Kincaid, Shakir, Cook, just better options to throw the football to. So as a fifth option in a passing game, that's kind of what he is to me. And that's where I think he should be. All right, I got a whole lot more to get to here, folks. But I need to tell you about FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the offers stay hot for the NFL over at FanDuel right now. New customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. And there's a ton of things that you can bet on, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. In fact, we've been doing well on those player props. This past week, we hit on James Cook. They had the over-under for receiving yards set at 19 and a half. And that absolutely hit if you smash the over. So check out FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. The next one here comes from Donald, who says, wondering if you could give Joe Brady a letter grade now that we've seen three games from him. Love the Jets and the Eagles. The four strong ideas were great here, but annoyed we got away from the run late in the game. And I feel like we left KC with way too much time to score. So there's been some things that I've really liked about Joe Brady and some things that are are, are a bit concerning for me. Um, But overall, I've really been satisfied, and I'm hopeful that the Bills continue with Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator, which I think will happen. He just, uh, the Bills just added a player, or excuse me, a coach to the staff that has ties to Joe Brady um, that is an indicator that, hey, we plan on you kind of being the OC moving forward. And, you know, you're not going to add coaches in the middle of the year that don't have a chance to kind of stick around. So I'm really satisfied with Joe Brady. So just keep that in mind as I get into some of the critiques. Now, things that I've really enjoyed from Brady, the run game, including the involvement of Josh Allen in the run game, that's been a nice improvement. 
utilization of the running backs overall and the running backs and tight ends in the passing game has been really good, kind of what you're hoping to see there. And I think the overall design, structure, and options of the offense feel good to me, right? I I, I watch the All-22. I study it. The intent of the scheme is so much better under Brady than it was Dorsey. And I like the options that Josh Allen has. I like how they attack the field. I like the spacing. I like the leverage. I like the motion. All of it's good. Now, where I think there's some meat on the bone is, first of all, the second halves of games. I think that you've seen the offense start pretty good, and then it doesn't really sustain into the second half with the consistency that I think it needs to. I think that what what that comes down to is Joe Brady game planning, putting together those initial scripts and and getting into a bit of a groove early on. But as the game elongates and there's adjustments, I think finding his rhythm and and his groove as a play caller is something that he's still settling in and trying to do with the Bills. Um, And that's tough to do in these circumstances where you're appointed like the middle of the season, whereas he could have had an entire offseason and and camp and preseason to install and kind of get himself figured out in terms of how he wants it to look and feel. And so I, I give him a little bit great, little bit of grace there, but I think the second halves, there's been a little bit of a lull there that you don't want to see. Um, I think consistency with the wide receivers has been an area that I, I think needs to be better, um, whether it's Gabe Davis, of course, Stefan Diggs, kind of the production lacking there, passing game miscommunications. I think that's really shown up over the last several games. I've highlighted those in our all 22 reviews. And then just give me more play action. The the play action rate's too low. I think we're sub 20% over the last few games. And like I said yesterday on the podcast, do the thing that Josh Allen is great at more. Like just 30%, dude. Give me 30% play action. Um, So that's where I think it's been good. That's where I think it's been bad. I'm I'm satisfied with the direction. I like where it can go. Um, The intent, the scheme, the options are all so much better. But obviously plenty of room to continue improving. So what's my grade? Uh, B plus. I think he gets a B plus at this point. Eli says, why does the Bills offense seem to find options in the scheme, meaning nothing looks forced to Diggs or Kincaid. Now James Cook is cooking Shakir, but when Dorsey was the offensive coordinator, everything looked forced. What's so different? I think the biggest difference here that makes the offense look a little bit more free-flowing and not so much forced is just kind of the structure of the scheme. And not that the scheme is drastically different. It's not. But the the intent is different, where Ken Dorsey's offense was designed to have answers built in. So no matter what the defense did, if they gave you man, if they gave you zone, whatever it was, you had an answer baked into it. The challenge with that is is it requires a lot of thinking, a lot of processing, and people being on the same page, right? You have to see things the same way, or else you're not necessarily going to be consistent. And so I think because of the level of processing and detail, detail necessary for that scheme to really take off, Josh Allen just kind of forced things. He would predetermine and say, this is what I want to do with the ball. Where I think with Joe Brady's scheme, And with the way that he's influenced the offense, you're seeing more options. There's better route combinations that allows Josh Allen 
to work through progressions in a simplified way. Now, on one hand, what I said about Ken Dorsey's scheme and what made it challenging is a little bit of a shot on the players, right? Like, they, they, you got to process better. You have to see it. You got to be more cohesive. You need to execute better. And that's why whenever I had the Joe Brady conversations with you, or excuse me, the Ken Dorsey conversations with you throughout the course of the season, I said, look, this isn't like a bad offense. There's plenty of options. Like, it's not like I don't think there's anything good that Josh Allen can do with the football on any given play. It's just that they're not on the same page with how they're seeing things and how they're working progressions. And so I think just the structural differences that allow that just simply allows it to be a little bit more free flowing and lets Josh Allen turn it into a bit more of a space game and pick matchups and somewhat simplified in ways. I think that's really what the difference is. And that's why it doesn't feel as forced as it did in the past. Al says with recent comments from Puna Ford, why hasn't he gotten more games instead of Tim Settle or Jordan Phillips since both of them have graded low all season? So, yeah, let's have the Puna Ford conversation. I like Puna Ford. I wish that Puna Ford was playing over Jordan Phillips in particular. I don't know why the Bills continue to play Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle over Puna Ford. It's not the decision I would make. I find myself mostly disappointed in Jordan Phillips. I think Settle's been a little bit more flashy of late, but but Phillips has been perpetually disappointing. And not only is he is he mostly an ineffective player, he kind of has some like boneheaded problems too with 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 uh, penalties. I don't see the appeal. I really don't. I know that he's been around and all that type of stuff, but like, is he effective? No, I think he's terrible against the run, and the impact's not there as a pass rusher. And he makes mistakes in terms of getting penalties. I would play Puna Ford over him. Which begs the question, why doesn't the team see it that way? And look, I think it's important for us to understand this. Like, the team disagrees with what I'm saying. They tell us every single week that Puna Ford is DT5, and he's going to be inactive behind Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle. I think the reason for it is they want the athleticism. There is a athletic advantage when it comes to Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle. And when you're in a penetration-style defense, maybe that's what you lean into, right? Puna Ford, more of a fire hydrant, own the line of scrimmage, play physical, but he's not going to penetrate or get up the field, and he doesn't have the lateral movement skills that you're really looking for. I think that's what it comes down to. I just think Puna Ford's the better player. I think that's what it comes down to, and that's why I would want him on the field. But the team obviously disagrees with me, and expecting this to be different, I think you're you're going to be disappointed because they've told you every single week that they prefer Phillips and Settle to Puna Ford, and I don't think that's going to change at any point. So I guess get used to it. I disagree with it. I think that's what the reasons are. I, I would play the best player, and I think that's Ford. So that's how I see it. I know that's been a frustrating thing for a lot of people. All right, we got more to get to here. Stick with me. We're going to talk about the defense in the second half, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid being all kinds of mad about things, and uh, we'll talk about jerseys as well here in just a moment. But, folks, you got to check out Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most exciting, the most fun way to play daily fantasy sports. The format is incredible. It's just you against the numbers. 
It's not you against thousands of other players, including sharks, including pros. All you do is you select two or more players. You pick more or less in their projected stats, and you place your entry. That's it. It doesn't take long. Picks can be made in under a minute. And then when you win, the withdrawals are super, super quick. And I also love this about prize picks. You can cross-pollinate between sports. So if there's some projections that you like for a football game, you can work that together with basketball or hockey or whatever you like to really put together entries that make the most sense for you. So go to prizepicks.com slash NFL and use code LOCKEDONNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash NFL and use code LOCKEDONNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, the next one today comes from Harry, who says, I've seen the defensive EPA numbers comparing first half to second half. There's a massive fall off from the first to the second. I know you've pointed to coaching. I'd argue this is the difference between starters and replacement level players. Over the course of 70 plays, the player inefficiency is going to be exposed. I think it can be both. I think it can definitely be both of those things. Um, And certainly we're coming off of a, a game situationally that I thought the Bills did the right things defensively in terms of how they you know, how the scheme operated, what the play calling was late in the game. I thought Sean McDermott did a good job this week. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. But I think it can be both. But also, like, let me say this. The injury discussion is so old news to me. Like, I get it. We don't have Trey White. We don't have Matt Milano. We don't have Daquan Jones. Those are great players. You'd love to have them. It's like going into week 15. I'm telling you, every team is hurt. Every single one of them is hurt. So... I think the Bills were somewhat fortunate that those injuries happened early so that at this point in the season, you can kind of figure it out. You traded for Rasul Douglas. You signed Linval Joseph. Tyrell Dotson has done an admirable job filling in. He's not Matt Milano. That's not what Trey White can be. It's not what Daquan Jones is. I get it. But look across the league. Everybody is hurt. And as I said, at the, at the, when those injuries happen, nobody's going to sit around and feel sorry for you. Just like we're not sitting around feel, feeling sorry for the Miami Dolphins who just lost Jalen Phillips. They just lost Connor Williams. Taron Armstead's always hurt. Tyree Kill's got an ankle thing. Like, do you feel bad for them? Their starting middle linebacker, Jerome Baker, is injured. Both of their guards are out. Like, everybody's got injuries. And it's to me, it's such old news at this point. Like, you got to figure it out and just keep going. You'd love to have everybody. You don't. I mean, it's just the way the league is. It's unfortunate. I wish you could turn the injuries off. You can't. But I'm completely over giving, extending grace for not having these players available. They haven't been available in a long time. You've made moves to position yourself, and all the other teams have injuries too. Next one here comes from Papa, who says, why are... Mahomes and Reed referencing that the refs should have warned them that Tony was offside. I understand from their comments and other comments I've heard over the years that refs do sometimes provide a heads up. Is it something the refs are expected to do? Do they do the same for defenders? What about other pre-snap issues such as legal formations or too many men? I really do not understand how this can be placed on the officials and would love some insight. Yeah, I think there are some norms out there that there could be some penalties where, hey, you're Guys are nudging up a little bit too close or, you know, the way that emotion is happening, you know, getting up the field or uh, perhaps, you know, you think about 
other instances like uh, illegal men downfield, you could say, hey, you got to be careful. Like there's there's a time and place for that. But there's no requirement. And so like maybe they would like that courtesy to be extended to them. And I think the result of the play certainly impact things. If it was an incomplete pass, I don't think anybody would care. But it took away, you know, potential like all-time play from them, right? Something that was going to be on the highlight reel of Travis Kelsey when he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that's what it comes down to, right? It's a correct call, and they're not required to give them a courtesy. It was an egregious error, and that's what the referee said after the game. But I think overall, the reaction has been insane to me, whether it's Ben Patrick Mahomes, it's Ben Andy Reid, it's Ben Chiefs fans. Like, they're acting like total brats. Like, it didn't go your way, guys. I'm sorry. You've won, like, two of the last three Super Bowls. you got the best quarterback in the world. It's going to be all right. But it's kind of insane to me. Obviously, they've had a frustrating season compared to their standards, particularly on offense. They feel like they kind of made this big impact play that you know, would have potentially changed the game. I know that like lost in this entire conversation is that Josh Allen would have gotten the ball back with a minute and 20 and two timeouts. Like, let's not pretend like the game was over. But yeah, the reaction here has been ridiculous. And and, and in their defense, it's been out of character. Like, they're not typically like that. But let's not act like you didn't just win the Super Bowl on a ticky-tack call. I mean, it's been it's been wild to see. I mean, the Bills, 12 men on the field. Denver gets the ball. It's all crap. Like, And you know who we're mad at? We're mad at Sean McDermott. Be mad at Kadarius Toney. Be mad at Matthew Smiley. Like, extend your frustrations to the correct places. Don't be mad that the NFL didn't, get you, didn't let you get away with a penalty. They're not disputing that it's a penalty. They're mad that the NFL didn't let them get away with it. Acting like total brats, in my opinion. Next one here comes from Dan, who says, what jersey should I get for Christmas? I like to cheer for a good player who may not already have thousands of people wearing jerseys for them, so not Josh Allen or Stefan Diggs, but a young player who could be a franchise staple for years to come. I'm considering players like Kincaid, Shakir, Dawkins, Torrance, Rousseau, and Bernard. All right, so let me first say this. I, have been, I haven't bought a Bills jersey in a long time. I do not even own a Josh Allen jersey. And and it's because I went through this stretch of just like disaster jersey purchases. I think I had like Marshawn Lynch, Paul Pozlesny, CJ Spiller, and Marcel Darius. Like I went on the streak of those four players, and I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm done with jerseys. And I've, you know, like it's just it hasn't been a, a good relationship with me and jerseys, but I can certainly understand um kind of your thought process here and you know wanting to get a, a player that isn't like the household name that there's a million other people with that jersey i think dalton kincaid would be a good choice now those those purchases are going to heat up but i think dalton kincaid is going to be around for a long time he's going to be productive like seems like a great dude that's going to be a cornerstone for this team that you're going to be proud of so i think that would be a good one i think james cook i mean we started this conversation talking about him in year two as the you know, number three running back in the NFL in yards from scrimmage, number seven in terms of skill players. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know if the Bills are going to like eventually pay him a long-term contract. I don't know how they value the running back position like that, but, you know, I think that would be another fun one to have as well. So if you're looking for maybe a, you know, a non-Diggs-Allen type purchase, 
those guys. What about Ed Oliver? That'd be another name that I would invoke as well. Just signed the contract extension, having a great season. Um, and I don't, I mean, I've certainly been in Buffalo a good amount and I don't feel like I see a ton of that Oliver Jersey. So that'd be another one for you to consider as well. All right, folks, this has been fun and it's going to be really fun to turn our attention to the next one, the Dallas Cowboys. So for the rest of the week, we are going to get ready for that game. We got crossover preview coming up next. Then I'll give you my full game primer and then we'll do final thoughts, injuries, and predictions to get us ready for Bills Cowboys in Buffalo, and with the Dolphins losing to the Titans, the AFC East is very much on the table for the Buffalo Bills, and very much on the table for the Buffalo Bills if they don't beat Dallas. But you beat Dallas, and your next two are the Chargers and Patriots. Justin Herbert's out for the year. Sets up a potential big one in Week 18 against the Miami Dolphins in South Florida. So lots of big stuff to talk about here on the podcast don't miss anything make sure that you're subscribed would love it if you took a second to rate review and share the podcast have a great rest of your day go bills and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow